production. Bruce Lifton is a world-renowned stem cell biologist and one of the leaders in epigenetics. He is best known for promoting the idea that gene expression can be influenced by environmental factors, that people have a greater impact on their health than genetic research has previously determined. In my second conversation with Bruce, he speaks to raising kids to flourish and the world we have come to inhabit. It's heartbreak, it's beauty, and it's possibilities of both destroying and saving. Human civilization is fainting its own end because when the environment goes, humans can't be here either. It's disappearing very quickly. So what's the point? It says, well, if you want to survive, you cannot continue what you're doing. What we're doing as a civilization, a culture, a planet, using up the resources and polluting everything and doing all that because we feel we can do that, has caused this problem. So I said, well, what's the answer? The answer is, we have to change the whole way we live on this planet. We have to learn how to live in harmony, not just with each other would be a good start. <laughs> with nature is necessary. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Bruce Lipton is the author of many books, including The Biology of Belief and The Honeymoon Effect. Bruce's wisdom has changed the way I view genetics and the subconscious mind and has shone a light on how we deconstruct those preconditioned beliefs we all have about who we are and what we are capable of achieving. May Bruce's words inspire you to seek your own truth, to explore the unknown, lean into fear and never stop learning. Bruce, welcome back to the podcast for the second time. You are one of our most requested guests, so it's so good to have you here again. One of the many reasons that I love you so much is because you you mix science and spirituality together, a beautiful mix. How did the two merge for you? Well, <laughs> as a scientist, and that was my career, uh, I wasn't spiritual at all. I was one of those guys, genes and proteins and cells, and you live and then you die and that's it. And my work was on cells. And uh, I was understanding how they worked in a very different attitude than conventional belief because genes, uh, everyone believed genes control cells, but my work revealed that it was the environment that was selecting the genetics. And the difference is the belief that most people have is when genes control them, as far as they know, they didn't pick them and they can't change them if they don't like the traits. And then they're told the genes turn on and off by themselves, uh, puts people in a consciousness of a victim of their heredity. Oh, there's cancer genes in my family and Alzheimer genes and cardiovascular disease. And it's like, that's the programming we all had. The new research, which I saw nearly 50 years ago, called epigenetics, shows no, genes uh, are, are not self-active. Genes are blueprints, just like in an architect's office. Uh, you go into an architect's office, she's working on a blueprint, you ask her, is your, gene, is your blueprint on or off? And she's looking, just like it's a blueprint. There's no on and off. And I go, that's the point. DNA is a blueprint. It doesn't regulate itself in any way whatsoever. It's the consciousness that engages the genes. 
And I go, so why is that relevant? I said, well, the old story is genes control you, you're a victim. The new story is, wait, if consciousness is controlling genes, then I can be the master. And I go, that's the new science. So we go from victim to master. But most people don't even know about it yet because it's it hasn't really come out into the world as strong as I think it should be because it returns power back to individuals and not just their internal biology, but understanding our creative character uh, of the lives that we lead. And so this is a science that is like, if it explodes into the public, it changes civilization because people stop being victims and say, wait, uh, I don't have to be unhealthy. Uh, genes are responsible for less than 1% of disease. <laughs> and I go, well, then where does disease coming from? And the answer is consciousness or lack of consciousness and harmony, uh, lifestyle, uh, stuff like that. And I go, so what's relevant? I said, those are things that we can control. And if I can control it, then I can control my health. I go, yeah, of course, that's what we've always done. But our belief has given that power to others to tell us about our health, and then we buy their story. You say that environment controls the behaviour of our cells. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. The, the conventional story, genes turn on and off and create the character of our biology. The research that I did with genetically identical cells in three different Petri dishes, so they, all the cells were genetically the same, uh, but I changed the chemistry of the culture medium. That's the environment that cells grow in. So I created three different versions of culture medium chemistry-wise. And uh, so genetically identical cells, but in three different Petri dishes with three different chemical environments. One dish, the cells form muscle. Another, they form bone. And the third dish, they form fat cells. And that leaves you with a very important conclusion. It says, well, what controls the fate of the cells? And the is, well, they were all genetically identical. So why should one be muscle, bone, fat? And the answer was the environment the culture medium, okay? So it's like, oh my God, then genes aren't controlling their expression of the cell. The genes are responding to the environment that is then influencing which genes are selected, okay? So uh, this changes the complete story because this science is now called epigenetics. Epi means above. So uh, this trait is under, when I say the old days, just most people, this trait is under genetic control. That means, oh, genes control this trait. Now I say this trait is under epigenetic control. I go, what is that? And I go, epi means above. So control, epi, above the genes. And now it's like, what is that? And I go, consciousness. <laughs> and I go, why is that relevant? Because we control our consciousness. And as we change our consciousness, we change our biology, our health, our life experiences and all that. And it's like such a different story from the program of victimization where we become powerless, look at life as a whole bunch of accidents just happening around and I'm caught up in this world of crazy. Then to find out, wait a minute, I'm participating in creating this world of crazy because when you fully understand this, there's an option to take the power back. Mm. So wait, I don't want I don't want this vision. I want a new vision. Yes. And you change your belief and you change the character of your life. And I mean, for example, people go, oh, that's a new agey stuff. And I go, no, 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 no. Placebo effect is a scientific reality. 
minimum of one third, but perhaps up to two thirds of all medical healing is a result of placebo. And I said, what's that? I go, person has a disease. The doctor says, I got this brand new pill. Brand new science just came out yesterday. Most expensive pill in the world. This pill can heal you. The person takes that pill, gets better. And then find out the pill was a sugar pill. What's the point? The point was this. Well, the pill didn't heal them. It was the belief in the pill. Oh, that's called placebo. That's positive thinking. And I go, great, that's true. That's a scientific reality. Positive thinking controlled my genetics and my behavior. And I go, unfortunately, left out of the story for the public is, what about negative thinking? Ah, They never talk about that. I go, well, that's where the problem comes from because negative thinking is equally powerful to positive thinking, but it works in the opposite direction. So placebo can heal me of any disease, positive thinking, but negative thinking can create any disease, including death. People can die just because they believe they're going to die. And I go, why is this relevant? Nobody talks to people about this. Why? To me, it's important because the majority of our thoughts are are disempowering or self-sabotaging or limiting beliefs. I go, oh, my God, we're thinking ourselves into, you know, into a problem because you're not recognizing that your thoughts are creating. uh, Let's take one step back because we talked about the cells in the Petri dish culture medium. Let let me just take one little, little sidebar. A human body appears to be one thing when you look in the mirror, but if you had a microscope and looked at it, you'd say, no, a human body is by definition a community of 50 trillion cells, Mm -hmm. the cells of a living entity, okay? Uh, And this becomes really important because then we start to recognize, oh my goodness, these cells are inside of us. I go, yeah, because we're skin-covered Petri dishes. I go, yeah, that's what's inside. But then I remember in the study with the cells in the plastic dish, the culture medium chemistry controlled the fate of the cells. I go, yeah, but what is culture medium? Okay, you ready? The laboratory version of blood. So if I grow human cells, I look, what is human blood made out of? And in the lab, I mix up those things and put them into the culture dish and grow the cells. So culture medium is blood. I go, wait, in my skin-covered Petri dish? I have the original culture medium, the original blood. I go, so what's the relevance? I say, the cell's fate was determined by the composition of the culture medium, the blood, okay? And I go, so why is this relevant? And the answer is, in the body, you've got the original culture medium (laughs) in a skin-covered Petri dish. So I say, yeah, it works exactly the same. The chemistry of the blood is controlling your genetics. And I go, oh, then comes two important questions. Important question number one. Well, who's the chemist? <laughs> who's determining the chemistry? Yes. In the lab, I created it. In the body, the brain is the chemist. It determines what's the chemical composition of the blood. Then comes the most important of all questions in the world. So what chemistry should be put into the blood? And here's the answer. Whatever picture the mind holds, the job of the brain is to translate that into chemistry, complementary chemistry. Maybe as a kid, you played with paint by numbers. Yes. And you had the paints and all these different numbers. And then when you put them all together, you created this picture. Well, take the picture 
back engineer it back into the colors, the paints are the chemistry of the body, the hormones and the emotional chemicals and all those things. So when your brain is translating that picture in your mind, it's creating a chemical complement in your body. That's amazing. Then the question is, so what's the picture in your mind? Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, and then you start to realize, well, we've been programmed to live in fear and stress and, yes. you know, and all this stuff. I go, well, <clears throat> if you take that picture and put it into chemistry, uh, it'll take you out of health immediately. That's so disharmonious, that, that thinking. And that's where it comes in. And finally, I just realized after, you know, 20 minutes here, the question about spirituality came in, glossed it over. <laughs> so I, I have to go back because the cells read the environment. That was what my research led to. Yes. And then the next step in my thinking was, well, wait a minute. No two people's cells are the same. Because if I put my cells or an organ into your body, your immune system will say, not self, and reject it. Yeah. If you take your organ and put it into somebody else's body, their system will say, not self, and reject it. So the first thing is this. There's a self built into the cells. There are no two people have the same self. And I go, well, what is it that makes us different? And the answer here comes. On the surface of the cell, the membrane, yes. there are protein molecules that are like television antennas. So they stick up over the surface. And I go, so what? I say, there's a group of these antennas, some of which are referred to in medicine as, and I love the word, self-receptors. I go, what, what does that mean? No two people have the same set of antennas, so they're receiving a signal, but no two people receive the same signal. And I go, wait a minute. The, we used to say the proteins were what make us different, but they didn't recognize. No, these are just antennas, just like on a television. Why? Well, the program is not in the television. The program is picked up by the antennas and then put in a television set. So... This is the Bruce TV. And the broadcast is coming in, and my cells with my antennas read my broadcast. Sarah, you have a different set of antennas. You have a whole different broadcast coming in. So now we go back for just a moment to that television analogy. And there's this. Okay, You're watching the TV, and the TV breaks, and we go, TV's dead. I go, yeah, TV's not working anymore question is the broadcast still there and the answer of course it's still there well you say how do you know i said well you can get another tv and when you tune it to the station the show is back on again yes. and i go this is our television set wow our broadcast is always there and in this round we're in these television sets if you pass on television dead, television broken, broadcast still there. If an embryo shows up in the future with the same set of those antennas, you're back. Television is different. Yeah. Does it have to be a male TV or female? Well, that's a TV set. What, what, what about black, white, brown, red, yellow? <laughs> that's a TV set. When we start to recognize we're or not the TV, we're the broadcast. Yes. And when we recognize epigenetics, that our consciousness, our broadcast, is shaping our biology inside as well as our behavior. Yeah. 
then the evolution will have occurred. And the evolution is what? We are creators. And that's why we're here. And yet we're creating not our wishes and desires because we've been programmed to create a a construct for the class of everybody. Mm. Everybody share this vision. This is the way life is. We all learned that. Now we live with that program. I go, yeah, but that was a program. (laughs) And you could have a whole different life, you know, Uh, and, and all of a sudden I say, why is that important? Because we don't know who we are. Yes. And it's been programmed out of us to, that we see ourselves as victims of a world out of control and try to survive in a stressed world. And it's like, it doesn't work. And that's yes. why the world is in a state of chaos it at is. this moment, globally. It is. And, and that gets me into my next question is you say change consciousness and our creation changes. And me personally, like my, my life has always been good. But when I, I learned this information, I realized that I could manifest the dreams and desires and good became phenomenal. Can you explain the tools, Bruce, to create heaven on earth? <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I, I love to because I, I'll start with the beginning part. My previous life to this awareness, yes. operating from conventional beliefs, like almost everybody out there, same beliefs. As a biologist, it was like, and my life really was like that because I thought that's just my I'm the victim yes. it's not working because a lot of people think I was just born into a, a not a great life you know I, I I'm you know my parents are such a way uh, people have it better than me I just I don't have a good life and this is the cards that I've been dealt I mean I've heard that so many times well that's the program that we got because yeah. it's sort of like the character is not in your control the character <clears throat> is in your genetics Oh, it's, it's passed from family to family. Genetics passes, right? You're going to be part of your family's history. Now we find out that it's not genes that are being passed. It's programs that are being passed. We download programs from our parents. Uh, uh, to the, the reason why is uh, an infant has to live in a family and an infant has to live in a community. And I said, well, there are rules. You can't do any damn thing you want out there. You got rules. And I said, well, how do you going to teach this infant the thousands of rules of proper family and proper community engagement? Like, well, you can't give them a book. They're kids. They're infants. You can't, you know, what are you going to do? Bring them in a classroom? Beth? I said, no. Nature created the first seven years of our life as program period and has the brain operating at a vibration that using, you know, the wires on your yes. head, EEG, uh, a lower vibration in consciousness, one called theta. And during that seven years, theta is hypnosis. Mm. And the significance of that is a child can download how to be a a member of a family and a community by simply observing other people and recording their behavior. So we record our parents' behavior, our siblings' behavior, and our community. And they become programs. Just like, you know, you get a video camera, (laughs) start taking pictures all day and put them in a library. It's called the subconscious. Yeah which remembers these programs, uh, and the relevance is this, just like in a computer. I can call up a program, and then boom, it's on the screen, okay? Well, it turns out the subconscious mind is the one with all the programs. The conscious mind is the one that types on the computer, so it adds input. Consciousness connected to that spirituality we just talked about. And I go, so why is it relevant? Well, according to this understanding about how we create the genetics and the behavior and all this, then by definition, 
our conscious mind with its wishes and desires should create a world of wishes and desires. I go, yeah, but it's not working for most people. Well, why not? And the answer is because they're only using the conscious part of the mind about 5% of the time. Mm. That 95% of our life is an expression of the programs that we copied from the other people. So we're just manifesting other people's behaviors, not the ones we wanted, Mm. but the ones that we got programmed with. So then comes finally to your question. Well, I've been programmed. I say, yeah, everybody got programmed. (laughs) Uh, And I say, well, when? I said, last trimester of pregnancy through the first seven years is the general programming period. That's when child's mind is in lower theta, which is hypnosis uh, um, and imagination. So that's why the interesting part about how children can live in a half real and half imaginary world. That's theta, but it's also hypnosis, meaning whatever's coming in is being recorded. So we all got programmed. And the significance is a psychologist tells us 70% or more of those are disempowering and self-sabotaging or limiting beliefs. And you say, yeah, but I don't need to operate with that subconscious because I'm the guy that's typing. I can type what I want. I go, yes, you can. And I say, that comes from the conscious mind. Then the monkey wrench comes into the machine big time. And I say, what is it? The conscious mind can not only have imagination and creativity, the conscious mind can think. So when you're creating, you're looking out and looking at the world that you want. When you're thinking, you're looking in. Mm. Thinking is inside. You know, Sarah, you know, tell me what you're doing on Wednesday at two o'clock. If it's not written in front of you in a moment, you'll think and then give me an answer. I go, so why is it relevant? And the clearest thing, which is like, aha. (laughs) Conscious mind, when it's steering your life, is taking to creative wishes and desires. But when conscious mind lets go of the wheel, I say, why should it let go of the wheel? I say, when it's thinking, it's not looking out anymore. Mm. Now it's it's just the vehicle is moving. It's not looking. I go, you mean my vehicle's out of control? I go, no. When the conscious mind lets go of the wheel, the subconscious is autopilot. Yes. And as autopilot, it steps in and drives your vehicle. I go, and how's it going to drive it? According to the pattern and the program that you got. Not your wishes and desires, but what you learned from watching your mother, your father, and that. And if those programs don't support you, then 95% of the day, which is the amount of time we think, 95% of the day you are playing programs that are sabotaging you and preventing you from getting to the wishes and destinations that the conscious mind has. Well, you were saying, how did you change your life to create heaven on earth from when you (laughs) you were quite miserable, you said, for for a lot of it? Oh, absolutely. If, you know, you grew up in my dysfunctional family with how my mom and my dad related to each other, you'd be like me, like for 40 plus years. What relationship? I couldn't maintain a relationship for minutes. Why? With the behavior I was operating from 95% of the time, it would chase everyone away, of course. Uh, And then the most important thing for me, so you're asking personal. Yes. Was, I'll step back and go, like most people, I was looking for that ideal situation and me, a partner, that I will not be complete until I have this partner. Well, right away, that meant I was always looking for someone. I was incomplete 
I must find this person. <laughs> and I, I was living in the Caribbean and a woman came in on a yacht that was just hanging out. And I thought, oh, I could get a relationship here. I have a <laughs> villa. I'm teaching at a university. I got a villa and I live at the beach and you know, I, everything. So I'm sitting at lunch with her and I go, Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you just hang out here? I got a villa up the road and a beautiful beach and a pool and everything. And you could hang out here. And she looked at me and she said, I can't be with you. You're too needy. And I, I like at that moment of like, oh, I needed that. Uh, it was the wake up call. It was a wake up call because I walked away from that and I said, I'm too needy. I got this great job as being a professor. Yes. I got money in my pocket. I got a house that's a, unbeatable on the on the coast, on uh, above the beach, and a pool, and a gardener. And I go, you can't to myself. You can't be happy with all of this. And it was a change of direction. I said, wait. First, you have to feel happy. Because if you're not happy, mm. then anybody you're looking for is by definition codependent. I need you because I'm not happy, so I need you. And now all of a sudden, somebody's got a job. <laughs> and that's not a good relationship, obviously, codependency. The first thing I learned is you have to learn to love yourself. And I go, well, why is that a difficult thing? And I say, go back to the fact that we've all been programmed. And recognize a common characteristic of parenting is to yell at the kid yeah. when they do something wrong. That's not good enough. Who do you think you are? You don't deserve this. Yes. They're acting like a coach on a, on a sports team. Yeah. They go, the difference is this. A coach, the, a kid on a sports team is old enough and is conscious enough and aware of when the coach says, you don't deserve this. The coach is just implying hard enough, not working enough, and you should do better. Yeah. But a child under seven is in theta, record. And the parent says, you don't deserve this. And I say, then what did the child just download? Recording. I do not deserve. Mm. I'm not good enough. Yeah. I'm not lovable. And I go, well, why is this problem? I go, because those are programs. And 95% of the day, the function of the mind is to manifest those programs as to make reality for you. So if you've got program, I'm not lovable. Try and find a relationship because if you found a relationship it would violate the mind, the mind says program, not lovable. If I find something lovable, it's like, who did that? <laughs> so the mind's job is to manifest, a, you know, a coherence yes. between your belief and your reality. So if uh, my, I'm not lovable, how am I going to find love? Because my mind is, oh, you gotta, you're not lovable. I'll show you why. And then create behavior to manifest like, yep, you're right. You're not lovable. Look. <laughs> and I go, oh, man, it's a subconscious programming but, you, but the first step to getting your power back in addition to the knowledge of epigenetics uh, in this particular case and the consciousness involved and the chemistry and all that is to say, am I lovable? And I'll tell you a, an important fact because I'm involved with uh, some belief change modality programs. Yeah, and one of the first questions that we test in the subconscious is you muscle test arm out, you yeah. know, and you say, I am loved, lovable. I am lovable. And you'll find that, as I found, anywhere between 80 and 90% of every audience 
will not test positive to I am lovable. That's so, so sad. So eight to nine out of 10 people will not have personal feeling of love mm. because of the way we criticize children and the idea of making them better, not recognizing the child's criticism is playing 95% of the day as a program. Mm. And until you get over that, that's the hardest, that's the first step. You have to be able to look in the mirror and, 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 and be very happy with that person that's looking back at you. Because if you're not, it's hard to connect to the rest of the world. Yes, you can't connect yes. to yourself. <laughs> and so that's the, one of the most important, I think, first steps in, in manifesting power. What if you've been through a heartbreak, you know, all, when you've been older in life and it's, it's really affected you? How do yes. you then get into a state of feeling that you are lovable again when, when literally your heart's been broken? Well, this is, this is the idea. Our life is a printout of our programming. Yes. That's the bottom line. So if you're having a relationship breakup, then, then something went wrong with the harmony that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And, and then, uh, so I, I wrote a book on this specifically because, uh, as I said, the first 40 years of my life, uh, I was patterning my behavior after my parents and I couldn't find a love relationship based mm. on that programming. Okay. But once I started to understand the nature of A, programming, and B, uh, looking at your life, and just you know, a little sidebar again, is uh, that 95% of your life is coming from the subconscious, so your life is a printout of your programs. You can see your programs by just looking at your life. Mm. The things that come in that you like, you got programmed to bring them in. But the things you want and you struggle with, your programs don't support that. And that's what you're seeing is... I want to go here, but my subconscious is like, no, that program doesn't work. So you can see where your programs are, okay? So I started to look at this, and then I, I met my partner, Margaret, when I was aware enough that I got to liking myself and thinking, I don't need anybody. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm a happy person wherever I'm at. It's okay with me. And then from that option, and then meeting someone like my partner, Margaret, that, that gave a whole different game. Because uh, Margaret came from a workshop training program uh, business that she and her former husband were in. Uh, and so she knew all about programming stuff. And I came from the scientific part about programming stuff. And we started to recognize that here's the basis of how it works. The first part is this. The negative programs we have stop playing when you fall in love with somebody. And the reason is this. is because why am I playing programs? because my conscious mind is thinking. I go, and what happens when you fall in love? We stop thinking, we stay present, we become what is called mindful, meaning we're not thinking, you're just being around live, living. And I go, so why is it relevant? I say, oh, well, when you're mindful, your life is controlled by your wishes and desires conscious mind. It's when you're thinking that those programs come up from the past. Uh -huh. So I say, so what's the point? When people first fall in love, they fall in love with conscious mind to conscious mind, wishes and desires, creative characteristics in common, bringing them together, sharing this most wonderful life experience. But once thinking has to come back in because you still have a job, you have responsibilities, you got to take care of things, you start thinking. I go, what happens? You start thinking. I say, oh, you know those bad programs that you didn't play because you're in a honeymoon. You never played programs. All of a sudden, they start to show up. So it's not just two conscious minds. 
It's now four minds, a conscious mind, a subconscious mind, a conscious mind, a subconscious mind. What's different? The conscious mind is connected to who you want to be and your spirituality and your wishes and all that. Subconscious mind is programs from other people. And as they start to take over, then the relationship is no longer based on the conscious wishes and desires of love. It's based on the programming trying to adapt to each other with crap that didn't have its appearance in the honeymoon. Why? I never played a program in the honeymoon. <laughs> so I go, so why, why is it relevant? It's because it's the underlying program when thinking starts over again. And that underlying program now plays instead of my conscious control, subconscious programming. That's when the old beliefs and stuff about life come in and boom, blow up relationships at that point because they were not part of the falling in love. Yes. They were withheld. So go back to the story. Margaret and I, we both now are aware of this. I'm older. We got it. She got it. And, and the idea was this. In our relationship, if something came out from that subconscious program that wasn't in harmony with what we were living, it didn't turn into an argument. It does for most people. Oh, well, who are you? Where did that come from? And then that's the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but if two people know that there are behaviors that come from the conscious, which are the loving wishes one, and the other ones that don't seem so great are coming from subconscious program, there's an opportunity to say, what, do you want that program anymore? No. Okay, let's change it. And I say, so why is this important? Because as you rewrite those limiting programs and put in positive programming, things that you wish for, take that conscious mind picture, make that a program. Okay. I say, so why is it relevant? And then here comes the fun answer. And the answer is whether you stay conscious or even just think and let the subconscious run, both conscious and subconscious will have the same wishes and desires Aww. and they'll manifest the same thing. And all of a sudden it's like, huh? you mean once the program is in there, I don't have to think about it. I go, nope. Why? It's going to operate 95% of the time like it's doing now anyway, but it'll give you a different outcome. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like empowerment. And that is what the public needs yes. to thrive into the future because we are continuously being disempowered. We are. And Bruce, the obvious question, how do we reprogram our subconscious mind? Oh, well, that's, a, that's another seminar. Oh, okay, wait, I'll, I'll, I'm going to summarize it. <laughs> Thank I'll you. I'll summarize it. The, the two minds learn in different ways. Conscious mind's creative, meaning it can learn in any creative way. Uh, listening to this podcast, reading a self-help book, going to a lecture, watching a video of some kind, just go, aha, and conscious can change its image. But then I go, what about subconscious? I say, no, it doesn't learn that way. Subconscious has habits. I go, so why is it relevant? And the answer is, if habits could change, just go, aha, there's not a habit anymore. And the idea is a habit is something you don't want to change. Yeah. Well, if it's a good habit and there are bad habits, I say, well, it's a good habit. Uh, Sarah, a really good one for everybody out there is when did you learn how to walk? Before you were two. Oh, and you're still walking and you're like me, 150 years old and I'm still walking. I go, how? It's a habit. If it would change, uh, I could lose how to walk. Yes. So the idea is the subconscious mind, habit mind, does not want to change. So right away, you're up against the wall. <laughs> doesn't want to change. I go, yeah, but I see these habits. Well, I say, what's the habit? The thing that doesn't work. I want to be in a relationship. I'm not in a relationship. Can't find one. Oh, I'm not lovable. Then all of a sudden, I want to change that. 
I say, so, okay, how do you do it? Oh, is this the question you asked, Sarah? Oh, okay, I'm getting to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's how you, I said there are three ways that you can controllably change the subconscious. I say, well, what are the three ways? I say, the first way we got programs was the brain was in theta, which is a lower vibration than consciousness. Alpha is conscious in a higher, like schoolroom stuff we're doing here. That's beta, higher consciousness, okay? I go, so theta, lower vibration is hypnosis. I go, yes, guess what? In the daytime, when we're really working with consciousness, we're at a high vibration beta. Then we go home and relax. It's called a calm consciousness. The vibrations slow down. It's called alpha. But at the moment you fall asleep, consciousness like checks out. The brain is still operating at a lower vibration called theta. Mm. So it says, if you put on earphones with a program that you want to be true in your life, a program that you say, I would love to have this program, and you put them on while you're awake, you'll hear the whatever the program is. But the moment you fall asleep, the program is playing straight into the subconscious, mm. theta. You're sleeping. You have no idea what the hell is going on. Theta is recording what that recording said into the subconscious. That's how you got the first programs. Yes. So every night, putting earphones on with a program will repeat that. I actually and did that for a while. After we spoke the first time, I, I recorded wishes and desires and, and all that kind of stuff onto a recording and I'd listen to them at nighttime as I was going to sleep. And I, I truly believe that it works. Well, I hope so, because that would be really good. <laughs> well, that's exactly. <laughs> so, but that does a repetition moment. Then I say, yeah, but I still learn programs after age seven that are habits. Mm. I can drive a car, ride a bike. If I had played an instrument, I could play an instrument. I go, so what's connecting those? And I go, practice. Everything we wanted to become a habit we repeated it over and over and over. And it, that's how it got into the subconscious, repetition. You want a, a, a new life? We well, better practice a new life because if you keep playing the same practice you got now, you're gonna get the same result all the time. So uh, putting into practice and habit, uh, my little caveat, because a lot of people think, oh, I, I put sticky notes on the refrigerator and. Every time I go get some snack out of there, I say, it says, don't eat the donut or something like that, you know? And I go, that's a suggestion, not a practice. Yes. The sticky notes are nice. They give you an idea of what you want to practice, but they are not the practice, okay? Uh, and so um, it's a, practice means something repetitive. You got to keep doing it. <clears throat> and that's another way. But the real important change today is coming from a, a new group of modalities in psychology called energy psychology. Yeah. A whole variety of them. I say, what's unique about them? I go, it engages what is called super learning. I go, what's super learning? I go, maybe you've seen somebody read a book by just taking their finger and moving down the page. As fast as they move down the page, every word on that, uh, just as fast as I did that, every word on that page was read wow. because the subconscious mind is that fast, Okay. If you can engage that same super conscious ability while downloading a new belief, you can uh, create changes in minutes. Really, once you know what the belief is, that's the harder part is yes. finding out what is it you want to reprogram. But once you have the idea of what you want to reprogram, which is the precursor before doing the yes. process, 
uh, you can uh, download these new beliefs in matters of minutes. And I've got about 20 or more energy psychology modalities on my website. Amazing. Which is called brucelipton.com. And um, there's a whole bunch of different ones. Whatever one appeals to your inner sense of, oh, that sounds good. Try it. Uh, and I love it because um, I wouldn't be here talking with you today about all this if I hadn't had that opportunity yes. to reprogram. We obviously have spoken a lot about how kids stay in their subconscious mind in that theta state till they're seven. Can you... Can you let us know what is the best way for us to bring up children so they have a subconscious mind that is uh, that is a positive one and that, and that all their wishes and desires are able to to last for for a lifetime and they don't that we don't have to get them doing this work when they're older especially because as parents we're not around our kids the whole time they have school they have their friends as well. How can we best uh, yeah. allow them to have the most fruitful life? The whole idea is when you talk to a child and an infant, you know, like you think that that child's not there. No, that, that brain is recording. Yes. Okay. It may not be able to deal with it. The output may not be able to coordinate any speech or anything. The input is working. It's downloading. And so starting from that very, very early on, always talk to that child in the most positive way about, oh, you're the most wonderful this, you're the smartest that, you can do anything, you're creative, you're so powerful. Those are the words that are programs. Mm. And then when those programs, the mind has to manifest them, they manifest them exactly like it is. Uh, and this is basically, you are, are, are being videotaped. <laughs> and your behavior is becoming their behavior. Yes. Which then puts a little pressure on the parent for this reason. The idea of conscious parenting is great. Oh, but it's a conscious idea of conscious parenting. And I go, so what? I say, well, then a conscious parent is conscious of how long during the day. And I go, 5%. I go, so why is that important? I say, well, the most conscious parent in this case is still 95% operating from the programs mm. that they're not paying attention to because they got that passed down from generation. And the next generation is recording 100% of the time, so it sees 5%, but it sees 95%. Yes. <laughs> and so the, the most important part of raising a, a most powerful child is for the parent to recognize they have to be conscious models of what they want that child to download. And, and, and it's basically just downloading these words and things that don't mean anything to that kid at that moment are still being recorded yeah. in a subconscious program. They'll manifest later, okay? So the idea you're talking to an infant wrapped all up in this thingy there and you're talking to it and, and people like, you know, it's like, don't go goo goo, gaga, stuff like that. That child is downloading <laughs> stuff. And, and so really talking to a child becomes the most important aspect of that communication keeping contact with face-to-face, eye-to-eye is so critical because within the first two weeks of a child's life, it can distinguish the parent's face as being happy, angry, or sad by looking at the face. That's, excuse me, that's nature. 
Why? The, the parent is the leader. <laughs> the child has to see what the, what the parent's saying so that it follows, its survival is based on following that. Yes. So nature puts that in so the child can read the face uh, of the parent. Uh, and this becomes really important because then there's this other level of parenting that most parents have no idea about. But to me, it's so critical. Not as this, that child is videotaping you. Yeah. <laughs> all of your behavior, all of the time. And therefore, it's very difficult to be a conscious parent when you're only conscious of being conscious yes. at that time. It's not a lot. <laughs> and it becomes so critical because <clears throat> you empower the child at that age. Mm. And the rest of its life, the program of shaping that life comes from those downloads right there. And so always empowering them. Uh, and the obvious thing is the criticism that we received yeah which has taken us away from our power yes because now we bought the criticism as part of our life boy that has to be knocked out real early you can't do that because you don't recognize that what you're saying now is a program that will affect that person for the rest of their life i know that's why this information bruce is so unbelievably important you you touched on illness before and said that such a small percentage of illness is due to to genetics. How, you know, being the spiritual being that you are, say someone has cancer and you talk about how we are able to to heal ourselves. What about what are your views on like predestined timing for our deaths, regardless of our beliefs? That itself is another belief, isn't it? <laughs> it's a belief. What do you want to believe? You know, yeah. that's a whole world of beliefs. You know, it's like some people say, oh, you want to change that behavior? It takes 21 days to make a habit. Go, yes. Why? I could, you could change your habit here with the energy psychology in 20 minutes. <laughs> but the belief goes in and then it's propagated and we have, oh, I'm using 10% of my brain. I go, no. Using 100% of your brain, <laughs> whatever you're not using is disappearing because use it or lose it applies to everything in the body, yes. whether it's muscles or neurons, uh, and you're using 100% of your brain. Why? 10% is what people say. It's like they're looking for the magic 90%. It's like, no, you're using it. <laughs> what do you think of the fear state that's being created at the moment over the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, this is something that has put a lot of anxiety into people. How how will we best cope with that? <laughs> okay, uh, caveat, uh, attention to the world. What I'm saying is my personal belief about this as a research scientist, okay? Yeah. Because <clears throat> I see something that's not really good going on. I see a world in total chaos, which is actually good, which is hard. What do you mean? How can it be good if it's in chaos? So the first understanding is simply this. Uh, human civilization has precipitated what is called the sixth mass extinction of life on this planet. Five times in the history of planet, life was thriving, and some event, a cataclysmic event, wiped it out and started over again. 66 million years ago, the fifth one was when dinosaurs were here and a comet hit the planet that was big, upended the environment, wiped out all the dinosaurs and up to 90% of life, and it started all over again. <clears throat> Today, science has recognized we're losing species of organisms on this planet faster than in previous five mass extinctions. 
and unfortunately, the problem that they all come with is that human civilization is undermining the web of life the way we're living on this planet. And it says, you can't keep doing this anymore. And it's like extinction. You go, well, was that a million years from now? A thousand? A hundred? No, within a hundred. Human civilization is facing extinction. We're polluting the air, the water, everything around us. We're despoiling nature, trying to tell nature what we want instead of understanding nature is what it is. Uh, we become, we dominate nature. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, your domination experiment has caused a six mass extinction that we're in right now. And human civilization is fainting its own end. Because when the environment goes, humans can't be here either. Uh, and it's disappearing very quickly. So what's the point? It says, well, if you want to survive, you cannot continue what you're doing. Mm. What we're doing as a civilization, a culture, a planet, using up the resources and polluting everything and doing all that because we feel we can do that, has caused this problem. So I said, well, what's the answer? The answer is, you have to change the whole way we live on this planet. We have to learn how to live in harmony, not just with each other would be a good start. <laughs> with nature is necessary. And I go, so why is this wrong? I say, the culture that we have been living with is causing the problem. Mm. To change the world, you have to change the culture. And the chaos prevalent, including COVID and climate change and all that is saying, you either learn to change right now while you're facing this, or that extinction is uh, before the end of the century. In fact, 20, 30 years, the humans are going to have a real tough time on this planet. Uh, and so you can look at the world in one of two ways. You can look at it in the structure that's coming down going, oh my God, the thing's falling apart. Or you can look at it in the way that is much more helpful and say, there's a new world we're building and uh, uh, Sarah, your show is contributing to what? New world we're building by saying, you got to change the way you're living. Who are you? What you, You've been victimized. You've been programmed. You know, the idea that we've been programmed, that's not new. <laughs> the Jesuits, the Catholic organization, for 400 years have told their followers this. Give me a child until it is seven, and I will show you the man. You go, so what the hell is that? And I go, exactly what we just talked about. You're programmed through age seven, and 95% of your life is going to come from that program. So whatever program you get is an expression of the rest of your life. They've been telling people this. Yes. Nobody paid attention. They had no idea. But now, look, this is a scientific reality. And the point is, we have to change the programming. We have to learn to live in nature as a harmonious element rather than we are dominating it. <laughs> uh, and that's the wake-up call that we're facing right now. So I say, so why is it relevant? I say, well, the chaos you see, we will not survive if this civilization doesn't have this. Yeah. If this civilization stays the way it is, we're talking a few decades and it's done, okay? And I say, well, you want to build a new civilization? You can't build it on the foundation of this one because this is the one that is causing the extinction. So it says, you want to thrive? The thing has to come down. And therefore, you have two choices. One of them will take away your health in an instant, and that is holding on to the one that's coming down. It's falling apart. I go, don't hold on and let go. <laughs> 
because that's the one that's destructive and it'll take you down with it. Yes. Time to refocus our energy and say, what is new that we're building? Where are we going? How can I participate in creating a different version of this reality? Because this version is self-destructive. So the chaos that we see, and it includes every, that's the thing. It's like the perfect storm. Everywhere in the world, some chaos is manifesting, racial, religious, political, economic. And I go, yeah, that's what? The opportunity to break it so that the next version will be built on a better foundation. Do you think the COVID vaccine is a cure to all this? I don't I don't know where it came from. I have speculation, but there's no reason to offer speculation with no foundation. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I will recognize a very simple fact, confusing the virus's virulence with the weakness of the patient. Mm. We keep blaming the virus as the biggest problem. I go, look, 80 to 90% of infected people never had symptoms bad enough to see a doctor or go to a hospital. Yeah. Okay. They lived with it. It was an extended flu. But then there's this big portion of the population that is having serious consequences. It's not a big portion of the population. It's a small, relatively. 80 to 90% of the people didn't have anything they're going to die from. But this other part does. And I say, well, what about this part? I say, you can't ignore that. You can't just say, write it off. But you can say, well, what is contributing to it? Yes. And the answer is what is called comorbidity, mm. meaning you're not healthy to begin with. And then being challenged by this virus in your weakened state didn't give you any strength. In fact, you have less strength yeah. to deal with this. Uh, Americans, I used to say, and I'm proud of it, well, <laughs> Americans, uh, You're a New point. Zealander now, Bruce. <laughs> New Zealand in my home. <laughs> but uh, America is where I live. And uh, uh, 40% of Americans have, and the number is 2.7 comorbidities. Jeez. Translated, that means 40% of Americans, and most of them have three comorbidities, overweight, diabetes, cardiovascular issues, whatever. I go, what's relevant? They are already weak in their system that they cannot respond well to this virus. Everyone's going to get the virus. Why? It's a new strain that hasn't been experienced. But once you experience it, you make an immune response. I go, well, 80 to 90% of the people of experience have a much better vaccine than any science vaccine they can give you. They created their own. Yes. But then... The people that have this problem, they're the ones that, you know, the focus should be on them as taking care of them, putting them in a safety zone, making sure every safety thing for them is in front of them. But 80% or more of the people like here in New Zealand, this is not a problem, Mm. okay? But in the media, the fear is the problem. Yes. And I go, "Why, why is that a problem? The answer is very simple. Fear shuts off the immune system. The chemistry of fear, corticosteroids, uh, adrenal secretions, shut down the immune system as a natural function uh, because fear is to mobilize your energy to run away from a tiger, okay? Uh, And the immune system is to protect you from an internal threat. 
But if the tiger's coming, there's no internal threat <laughs> that's more important than get away from that tiger. So stress hormones by their function shut down the immune system. So when you watch the news, and it's not the flu every year, they always had every year, the yes. flu season's coming, time to get your <laughs> flu shot. And some people go, yeah, yeah. Some people get it and blah, blah. This time it comes around, the flu season's here and you're going to die. It's like, <laughs> got my attention now. <laughs> uh, and that's what they're, they're holding that attention on. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die and go, hey, 80, 90% didn't die. And they managed to make a better vaccine than the science version of it. Yes. And I go, it's really necessary to focus your attention on the weak ones. And then I go, well, how do you focus on it? And I go, completely wrong the way they're doing it. Because they're going to say, oh, first you need drugs, then you need this and this and this. And at the very end, I say, and you should be healthy. <laughs> I go, no, no, take the one at the very end, move it all the way to the front line to take care of yourself enhances the immune system, which for hundreds of thousands of years protected us before medicine was here. And we're still here no matter how many viruses and things came through. I say, uh, you know, what's the status? And it's interesting because a lot of people are familiar with the Black Death that went through Europe and wiped out millions of people. And it's like, ooh, the evil Black Death. And then they started to look at the chemistry of the skeletons uh, of the people that died. And every study revealed that those people affected by a Black Death were completely unhealthy. Really? And at a time when health was a hard issue, even getting food was a hard issue. Yes. And so... Why did so many people die? And the answer was, they were not healthy. And I go, and what about today? And I go, again, <laughs> the people that are having the most problem are the ones that are not healthy. And then rather than saying, let's focus on making them healthy, their answer is, let's get some vaccine. I go, what about the people? Oh, just give them the vaccine. I go, Boy, you're really uh, you're experimenting on a human population with stuff that's never been done, even on an animal population, and so uh, um, it's a very interesting situation. And my best conclusion is very simple: number one, make sure you eat really natural, organic food. Yes, because industrial food is processed and chemicalized to a degree that you don't want that chemical in your body. Number two take supplements, including especially vitamin C, vitamin D, mm. zinc. These, these, are, these are critical, and especially vitamin C at large doses, not the trivial BS belief system uh, <clears throat> of a low dose. Take serious, serious uh, vitamin C. Number three, exercise. You have to move the circulatory system and let it work around and clean and take care of the body. Sedentary, less action, circulatory system is not filtering and cleaning the body very much. Yeah. Its function is to do that, but it's based on using it. Okay. And number four, get out of the negative belief zone that disempowers you because you've been programmed to say, oh, I got to hide in my house. Yeah. That's a problem because evolution is the complete opposite. It's not the separation of people. Evolution is the conjoining, mm -hmm. the coming together of people to create a multicellular thing called humanity where we are cells 
in the same body. I don't care where you are on the planet. And once we recognize that, then all of a sudden the idea of violence against another person is like autoimmune disease. That's called self-destruction. Yeah. This is not relevant. This is not right. We are all cells in the same body. When the cells are in harmony, harmony is health. Disharmony is disease. Mm. The planet has experienced disease at the level of individuals, which is higher and higher and higher, no matter how much money you put in medicine. And culture has experienced a great disease as well. It's all falling apart as well because the lack of harmony. And the COVID story is anti-evolution because it says, keep away from each other. Don't communicate with each other. And I say, you have disempowered. Communication uh, is the community. Yeah. <laughs> is the evolution. When you break up community, you're anti-evolution because the whole idea is learning how to come together and work in harmony with each other. And now we're frightened enough to be put away in our own little rooms. And I go, you're disconnected. Yeah. And I go, that that's the opposite of our intention. Bruce, thank you. That is, I think that information is, is really, really valuable. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? <laughs> I, you know what? At some point, remember that little story about the woman in the Caribbean and, uh, you know, I'm too needy. That was a life-changing moment. Yes. Because, you know, uh, I walked away going, how come you're not happy and you got all these wonderful things? And then to stop and analyze that yeah. and then rewrite those programs to go from a person who who couldn't get a relationship going to actually writing a book called The Honeymoon Effect. Mm. <laughs> you know that, you know. Uh, information, that's what I got from other people. But of course, the most important things that ever changed my life was the information provided by the cells in my research on cloning cells. Yes. Because it taught me about epigenetics and it taught me about spirituality at the same time. It was fabulous. Bruce, what's your greatest hope for society today? Let me recognize a very important point that most people don't want to acknowledge, and that is this, the human body we mentioned earlier is a community of 50 trillion cells. And I say, so what about it? I say, well, look at it this way. Think of being a cell in a body where love and harmony and joy and all that is part of the world of that body. Why? Because all the cells experience it, whether it's a chemical experience or whatever kind of experience. So if you were in a body of a harmony body <laughs> you know if you were a cell and that that individual life would be oh my god life is beautiful but if you're a cell in a body where disharmony is raging which leads to disease and all that you're going to find this is not a survival situation life is under threat all the time and when life is under threat that's protection and protection is shut down <clears throat> ultimate protection is uh, death. <laughs> Can't bother me anymore. I'm out of here. <laughs> but but the idea about that is so critical. So the idea is, what would I see? Is that, yeah, my, my vision always saw that when humans recognize that we're all cells in the same body, here to help and support uh, each other, and, and recognize that, and, and we change the economy, to match that of the body, for a simple point is this, 
if you're a healthy person, there's no such thing as a homeless cell in your body. <laughs> you know, and we're obviously the lack of health and civilization is an expression of how many cells are on the street lost in this mm. world right now. And that's just a reflection of, no, if this was a healthy body of people, there would be no cells on the street. And this is a mission. Bruce, what's the most mystical experience that you have ever had? Uh, the most mystical one was the moment that I, I saw the, the nature that my identity was an energy field that was not connected to my body. Because at that moment, it's like, oh, my God, spirituality. <laughs> and I didn't believe in it. And it wasn't like, well, let me work on this and read some books. No, it was, no, no spirituality. And then one moment later, it's like, oh, everything is spiritual. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was it was the most amazing experience in my whole life to to go from not believing in a spiritual existence to that moment of recognizing yeah. it and and the most powerful the most powerful consequence was at that moment losing the concept of fear of death yes and that's something we carry from when we were kids First time we knew things died. Then we first, we didn't even think ourselves dying first, that we were thinking our parents were going to die. Mm. And then we were going to be left alone. That was fear. Not that it would come into, oh, we're going to die. That didn't come into the thinking until a little bit later. But the problem is, once you have the fear of death and you live in a protection state, I don't want to go there. So I'm going to have my guard up. And it doesn't have to be conscious. Like I'm looking consciously every moment. Where's the problem? Subconscious does that. Does the looks around. If you know, if there's something that's scary, it'll bring it right to your face. That's what subconscious does. So the idea is, how much of the time are we actually living in a fear, using that system to assess every bit of our environment for who's hiding behind a tree or where's that coming from or whatever? I say, think about it this way because the moment I recognize spirituality, that disappeared. I felt lighter. I felt so light because I don't, you don't realize how under your conscious mind, your subconscious is on guard 24-7. It's always looking for where the problem is going to come from because the first thing we have is fear of death. What if you don't fear death? And it's like, oh, okay, let's go on and have fun now. I don't have to have those things anymore. And so it's the idea, can I face death without fear? And I think, I think I can. I, you know, yes. I don't want to because I'm enjoying life now so much better. <laughs> the last thing I want to think about that. But, but the point about it is, can I face it that way? And I think consciously I can. I can say, yes, I know who I am. What is a life of greatness to you? Be able to sleep at night like a baby. Meaning that you, whatever you did during the day, you enhanced yourself, you enhanced the world around you, you became a gardener, we're all gardeners because this is a garden, and when you do a a day of of support and creating, at night you, you can just sit there and go, I'm living in harmony with the world around me. And I think that when when you can do that, and and the thing is, you don't have to run a company. You could be a janitor. <laughs> Why? My job is to make this place nice and clean, and I did my job. 
and I contributed. Yeah. And now I could enjoy myself. You know, that's where it really comes down to a life of greatness. It doesn't have to be, you became the greatest this. You could be just Joe who does his job. He has love. He has a family, he has a community. And, and when he goes home, he's in total peace. That would be greatness. Bruce Lipton, you are the wisest <laughs> of all the souls. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Sarah, I thank you so much. And again, I really want to emphasize <clears throat> my appreciation for the audience because these are my fellow cells. And when we all start to recognize the community and harmony, the garden is what we came from. And we can get back to that when we stop destroying it. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.